0: So some of you who are Dereford people will know uh, a bit about the acute care team. I'm sure uh, those of you who work on the wards and uh, etc. will will have had contact with the acute care team uh, during the last 12 months. And uh, those of you from outside uh, obviously won't uh, won't necessarily know what I'm talking about until I start talking about it. So I'm going to give a bit of background to it. A brief overview of the, uh, a very, very brief overview of the evidence of the various components of the acute care team, because um, there just isn't time to cover the evidence behind all the various different bits. The changes that we undertook uh, just over a year ago, and what we're, where we are now, and hopefully some hints and tips. And this will be a sort of honest and frank review of where we've come in the journey in the last, last year uh, for the acute care team. So... For those of you who are not at all interested in this sort of thing, I've liberally interspersed this with completely <coughs> gratuitous photographs of Dartmoor just to keep you awake and entertained uh, in your, in your pre-lunch session. The acute care team has a series of components. The intensive care outreach team, acute pain team, resus which was the closest we had to a MET team at, at Derriford, the hospital at night team, Vascar Access. In the original review that was done 18 months ago, tissue viability was also, also considered, but quite rapidly decided that they were actually in quite a different box to these, to these other teams. So what's the core business of each of these sections? Well, the core business of the uh, intensive care outreach team is follow-up of ICU discharges, expert nursing assistants in these areas in particular, Although it's amazing how quickly expert nursing assistants uh, can rapidly become the daily care of um, when a team gets very embedded and people get into bad habits. Um, and, you know, we had patients being not receiving their trache care on the wards, waiting for the outreach team to turn up and look after their tracheostomy form. Nursing support for the early warning scoring and responding to track and triggers supporting the intensive care registrars. They did not attend cardiac arrests routinely in this hospital. That wasn't within their, their compass <coughs> at this stage. Um, but the team was doing a lot of education, although they didn't have any time to do it. Um, there was one nurse in particular who had sort of taken on the early warning scoring side of things uh, in, uh, in the year or so before uh, we, we combined the teams. Intensive care outreach has been around since this paper in 2000, which came out of the Department of Health. Uh, really strongly recommending the use of intensive care outreach teams, but that is not a universal model across uh, across all healthcare systems. Um, in Derriford, the outreach team had been cut to uh, to daytimes only. Uh, again, about eighteen months uh, before the review took place. The acute pain service, the core business of the acute pain service, is follow up on patients with complex pain interventions, particularly epidurals and local anaesthetic infusions, and increasing modality of pain relief. Complex drugs that are not normally used by ward staff, like ketamine infusion, setting up and managing those adjunctive therapies for acute pain. But also referrals for patients whose pain wasn't responding to the standard protocol. And indeed, the team also had responsibility for education throughout the hospital. This service was a daytime, weekday service. Uh, in Derriford. They didn't have the resource and the facility to do what they wanted to do, which is expand to become a a seven-day service, or even better, a 24-7 service. And there was very, very minimal input uh, to medicine, because that's not how the team was set up and funded originally. Um, But there was definitely a need there. The resus teams, I'm sure, are very similar across most hospitals. They're responsible, usually predominantly, for education, but they do attend cardiac arrests. We're doing so obviously only in the daytime. Um, also responsible for the audit and follow up uh, of cardiac arrests, checking the arrest trolleys, <coughs> ensuring education around the ward staff about how to make sure everything's properly stocked and that the equipment's working. And indeed, obviously, the business of running internal and external resus training. The hospital at night team have developed uh, over the last sort of five to six years, um, coordinating the nursing team out of hours, the out of hours um, sort of mobile nursing team assisting wards with routine tasks, and uh, a lot of us would hazard rather too many routine tasks, coordinating the cover doctors, uh, reviewing sick patients when patients got sick on the wards, and had already taken a kind of handover function from outreach at night. So when the outreach team was cut down so it wasn't supplying uh, cover at night, the hospital night team covered that but couldn't really see any of the routine-type reviews or even some of the really quite sick patients, they were only really a fire service responding to acute deterioration. And what our hospital at night team really lacked was senior clinical nurse input. So Band 6 was the highest clinical nurse on the team across the hospital, and uh, we had a sort of night manager, but what we didn't have was that senior helicopter view from a senior nurse, particularly guiding this team. And again, there's some problems with that, which I'll talk about a bit later on as well. Vascular access... uh, Predominantly, obviously, deals with complex um, vascular access, has a hospital-wide education role, re-line care, both peripheral line care and complex line care. Was also doing the follow-up from line-related inflections and line-related events. And in Derriford, this essentially had been pared down to a one-person role. Desperate need for a regular assistant for that role, and really a need to increase provision. And when I say control demand, I don't mean damp down demand, because this is something that's increasing and we need more of, but actually directing patients to getting the right sort of lines in an appropriate fashion. So, not just, as was often happening at night, yet another cannulation eight hours after the previous cannula that's now popped, um, but actually some smarter access using mid lines, using pick lines more appropriately. So a review was done in 2011. Why do you go reviewing stuff? Well, you review things, I think, because you either want to improve efficiency and coverage of a service, or you want to try and improve its effectiveness and consistency. And all of the services I've talked about had issues with those. None of them were failing, and I want to really make that as a key point. None of these services were failing. They all had good, dedicated, diligent staff who were working bloody hard to try and provide the best service they could. But they all had issues with these areas. They weren't able to do what they wanted to do. So how do you go about fixing that? Just to emphasise, the outreach team had become sort of 12 hours, 8 till 8 service. The acute pain team was essentially an 8 till 5. Resus, the clinical component in the resus team was basically a 9 to 5 service coming to a rest when they were able to. The hospital at night team was orphaned. And I mean that they were functioning in a bubble. So these was a group of permanent night workers. You know, the, the nurse in charge of the hospital at night team came in and did a bit of daytime admin. But they were start, they'd lost a lot of interaction with the daytime teams. Their problems weren't anybody else's problems because they're not here to sort them out in the daytime. Um, and vascular access essentially was a solo job. So when Carol was away, you didn't get vascular access. So quite a bit to sort out. So what would Utopia be? Well, Utopia would be having each of these services 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. They're all acute services. They're all emergency. They all respond to an acute problem. There is absolutely no reason why you should not have access to all of these services 24-7. But you can't have that because there isn't a bottomless pit of money. There isn't a bottomless resource um, And so you've got to think about how you do it without massively expanding each of these services. So the alternative thought was that you combine these teams. You produce nurses with pluripotent skills across the patch. By doing that, you effect a uh, 24-7 coverage. You reduce duplicate reviews, and there is... Some evidence out there, and it's interesting, the Scottish take on outreach was don't do it, because you'll de-skill the ward nurses particularly. They didn't implement outreach in Scotland, but they did make some suggestions that what you're planning to do with outreach, this is going back 12 years, what you're planning to do with outreach could be done by, say, an acute pain team taking on more of that role as well. Um, So we're certainly not the first people to think of, of doing this, and combining these teams together. Providing one point of contact. The more different ways you have of contacting different services, the more confused people get on the wards about what you do. So pairing it down to you've got a problem with an acutely deteriorating unwell patient. It might be pain, it might be that they're unstable, it might be that you can't get access in them. Often it's all three of those things. It may be that they're hairy at rest. Actually, call this number and you'll get the person who can direct you to the right services and get the right people involved. Part of this was separating the clinical from the teaching role in the recess team as well. So uh, the resus teaching has gone under the edu- effectively under the education department and the clinical role has been subsumed into the, into the acute care team. And the other thing we really wanted to try and do was to get a daily consultant input to the acute care team to try and troubleshoot some of those problems. The patient that keeps getting reviewed and but their care's not moving forward. The patient who keeps getting cannulated and their care's not moving forward. The patient who is constantly in pain because what everyone's doing is not sorting it out. So providing that regular daily consultant input um, was, was another key objective. Um, I'm not going to go a lot into the evidence for the, for the various different components of the team because, as I say, the constraints of time won't let me. i will quite have to talk about it uh, um, outside. I mean, essentially, the outreach teams kind of developed out of the MET team research in Australia. I've already alluded to comprehensive critical care. And the logic would suggest that having this mobile team of expert nurses for particularly unwell patients is worth doing. There has been a lot of effort to try and prove that outreach is a good thing. This smorgasbord paper, which is effectively five studies rolled into one that came out of the Department of Health. Bottom line, yeah, it probably does work as much as you can gather evidence, what's a very complex intervention. And it's probably cost-effective, saving you a bit of money. It certainly doesn't cost any more to have an outreach team than it doesn't. Evidence for the pain teams, well, there's a lot of guidelines out there for pain teams. And going back to 1997, the Association of Anaesthetists paper, one of the key features of this was saying this should be a 24-hour basis. And not many hospitals have managed to achieve that with a dedicated pain-only pain team similar documents in the Royal College of Physicians. What about, I mentioned earlier, pain in medicine, and I'm very grateful to Mark here, for Mark Rocket, who runs the pain side of the acute care team and has uh, done a fantastic job in the last six months of trying to get all the team up to speed. He's done some research in, uh, in, into pain in medical patients. And I think it's, for this audience, really, really important data to see, which is why I'm telling you about this now. This is a paper for, study from Derriford um, a couple of years ago. 400 patients across 15 wards, bed occupancy in 92%. Most of us would probably think that's an underestimate. Um, 75 patients out of those nearly 400 reported moderate or severe pain in the last 24 hours when they were asked about it by the researchers. That gives a point prevalence of 20%. That is the same as surgical patients. So you come in and have an operation, someone makes a big zipper down the middle of your tummy, you expect that patient's going to have a lot of pain and you deal with it. Medical patients have just as much pain, if you ask them properly. I think that's a really important take-home message. What about quality pain scoring? Well, in surgical patients, these are patients with moderate to severe pain, remember. Half of them are defined as having mild pain. A chunk are charted as having no pain, and a load are not assessed. And about a third the score is correct. In medical patients, it's even worse. Half of patients who report moderate to severe pain... Are actually charted as having no pain. I find that really upsetting actually, that we've got patients sitting on our wards in a lot of pain. So pain services for medicine are not you know, some fancy you know, thing that you can forget about. I think they're a really important service that we're not yet providing um, in, a, in a global way. Pain prescribing in surgery, everybody gets paracetamol. Quite a long lot of people have at least a PRN opiate and a lot of medications being given as prescribed. That is nowhere near as good in medicine, I'm afraid. There's a lot of patients with moderate to severe pain, remember, who have no analgesia prescribed. And we're also not great at giving it either. So there's a lot of work to do in pain medicine. This is why we thought it was important to get, uh, get the pain team getting across there. So implementing this was a little bit of a walk into the unknown. Um, We predicted some issues. We thought we were going to be accused of trying to do cost cutting, not least because we were doing this at a time when the trust was having a financial squeeze. We were actually trying to do it within the budgets available and within the staffing available. There was never an intention to cut costs, but it's amazing how people perceive things. It was going to involve changes in working patterns. That means you're moving staff out of their comfort zone, out of somewhere they've got used to working, they've got used to a routine of what they do in their team, um, and changing their hours. Now, there are some people who go to work for a team like Outreach or Pain um, or Resus because that is the thing that they think is really important that they want to do. There might be the occasional person who does it because it suits their life. And it's, you know, it's, it is the... They see the job advertised, they go for the job because it fits in with how their life works. And there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of us choose specialties and things because it suits how we want to live. If you then come along and suddenly dramatically change that, if you take people who are on hospital at night team and have chosen to be permanent night workers, and say, well, actually, you're going to work in the daytime again now, then you're changing people's lives. And so we did expect that was going to create a significant staff turnover. We were expecting a massive skill set of these staff. You are expecting them to learn an awful lot and apply an awful lot on a daily day-to-day basis, as you can see from me going through all the different core roles of the team. We expected some dilution of the specialist skills because if you take a, for example, pain team that works at 9 to 5 in the daytime and then you're re-educating other nurses to that role as well but spreading that resource across a whole week, then you're going to dilute it. And obviously if you get staff turnover, you're going to lose specialist skills. So these are all risks that, uh, that, that we expected. What about unexpected issues? Well... Even before the team began, we had nighttime bed management dumped on it. Ah, oh, you can do that. Which meant our clinical nurse, who's supposed to be having that helicopter view at night and making sure that the team are getting taught and educated and coming up to speed, etc., has been completely tied up bed managing. So we're sorting that out. But that was uh, that was a bit of a curveball, unfortunately. If you've got a pluripotent team, they get stuff dumped on them. We had a workforce gap right from the beginning, so we had long-term sick leave, we had people off, we had a gap in the workforce that we weren't able to fill, and that meant we couldn't do the buddying up and doubling and things, so I'll come back to that in a bit. We had some undermining, so you expect people to be unhappy about things, but once you put a process in place, you expect the staff on the ground on a day-to-day basis to get well supported. They did from some quarters and they didn't from others, so there was a bit of this, unfortunately, which was was very uh, disappointing. Perceptions and reality are a massive issue. So, you know, there was a perception that this team wasn't going to be as good as any of its component parts. Um, And in fact, the reality is quite different. Mm -hmm. But you need good data collection to show that. And that's been one of our other issues has been trying to get the data collection good. So workforce mapping... um, We wanted to achieve senior cover at night. We wanted to make sure there was enough band 6 cover throughout a 24-hour period. We knew we were going to have to reduce our HCA's at night to give a 24-hour resource. We definitely wanted to maintain our specialist nurses in, uh, in pain in particular um, and vascular access and also to create this practice development role for early warning scoring deterioration. And we wanted to sort out the consultant cover. The change management process consisted of a formal review paper and then there was a consultation and several things were changed, particularly adapting the shift structures um, and one key response to that was putting on an additional daytime shift to get enough to cover the pain work, uh, the routine pain reviews. We had problems mainly because of the staffing but pre-implementation we had problems with the education, we've got a permanent night workers. In the run-up to the new team starting, you're trying to educate them into new skills, but they're permanent night workers, so they're not here in the daytime to teach them. So it's very difficult getting that education done. People are doing their jobs on a day-to-day basis. We had a lot of people telling us we weren't doing enough about that, and we knew we weren't, but nobody came up with a solution to the problem. So that is a difficult issue before you make these changes, getting enough education. And post-implementation, um, as I say, the, not being able to buddy people up was a, was a, was a bit of an issue. So what are we up to right now? Well, that shows you the kind of overview of the work that the team do. Um, So deteriorating patients, you know, is about 100 to 150 a month. Um, Post-ICU patients, a little bit more than that. Quite a lot of pain reviews, and these are patients with pain. These are patients with complex pain measures in the Burgundy. Um, A few trache patients and a few transfers into the intensive care unit. Um, so you can see from the numbers, this team is doing an awful lot of work. Um, when I say daily patients seen here, this means that if a patient is seen twice in the same day, they only register once. If they're seen today and again tomorrow, that would register twice in these data. Um, that was one of our data collection issues. So this just shows you what the pain side of things are doing. And actually, hopefully, you're seeing there's a bit of a change in practice in local anaesthetic infusions in Derriford, which is why that suddenly jumped. But actually, in terms of completeness of seeing local anaesthetics and epidurals, that's gone up. Um, What we haven't done yet is pull out medical and surgical pain. We've still got quite a bit of work to do on the medicine thing. Comparing 2011 before the amalgamation to now, best to compare to visits here, just because the way these data are collected, they are slightly different data, but uh, compare the visit numbers, the burglary numbers to the blue numbers, we're doing okay. Okay. Okay, we are seeing at least as many, if not more patients, which is logical, because if you take a five-day service and turn it into a 24-7 service, you're expecting to see more patients. So we are getting, and this rise here is Mark Rocket having a, uh, having a bigger role since September and putting that forward. Um, vascular access, a dramatic increase in the complex vascular access going in, and that's largely through training HCAs to do midlines. And they can do that because they're working days as well as nights and they're able to work the specialist nurse in the day to achieve those skills. Tasks uh, done overall by the team, you can see the HCAs are doing an enormous quantity. This is bloods and cannulations and ECGs, um, and then there's the more complex nursing tasks. Um, just showing you that. Since we've rejigged the team, a lot more nursing reviews for sick patients at night, which I think is a good thing. Good news stories, the number of of out-of-hours, number of patients in Derriford getting stabbed out-of-hours for routine cannulation and bloods by the HCAs has plummeted. I know what you're going to say. The bad news story is that, note the scales are different here, that's 300 as opposed to 800. The number of cannulations and routine bloods by doctors at night has gone up. But the overall totals between the two is a dramatic drop. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm a patient, I really don't want to be woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning to have some blood done because some oik didn't do it at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And we did, used to, again, but when the hospital at night team had a most senior nurse was band 6... We didn't have a lot of policing going on. There was routine practice to put jobs in the book at 3 o'clock in the afternoon for the hospital at night team to do when they came on that night. And that's bad for patients. And I've put to you that a lot of this drop is that that is no longer happening. Um, and that you've got a senior nurse policing this now that's saying at 10 o'clock at night, do you really need a new Ventolin in that patient? You know. Um, And also trying to encourage the ward staff with the competencies to do these procedures themselves. We used to have cardiology wards phoning up and asking the hospital at night team to come do ECGs. I kid you not, that was one of our common tasks. So a certain amount of senior policing, I think, has, has, has led to this. We do still have to sort out the issue that doctors are doing too much at night. And that's, I think, one of our key roles. We've got to rebalance these tasks a bit at night. We do need to get pain into medicine more. We need to get the triggering better. I think all places find problems with triggering very sick patients. We need to get more than one specialist doing vascular access, uh, and central line insertion, I think, is, is, a, is a next development, so we can take that off the emergency theatre lists, which uh, is probably not an appropriate use of, uh, of, of, of those. Um, and we're still doing some work. I'm not going to bore you with what we're doing with the consultant review, but we're still doing some work on that. So if any of you are sort of getting, getting a wetted appetite to try and combine your teams in your hospitals, or if you're going to be forced into that situation through NHS resources, etc., try not to do it when there's a cost-cutting exercise going on, because it just gets everyone's backs up before you start. Do free up a senior nurse and senior clinician to really focus on it. Peter and I were both um, basically given this without any time for six months of last year and it just doesn't work. You've got to be able to give this your full attention. It needs a really robust staffing model, and we're getting there with that now. So the acute care team can help anyone. They can be deployed anywhere as an extra pair of hands, intensive care, the wards, wherever. But it never gets reciprocated, because it can't be. You can't get agency staffing. It doesn't work. They're more work than help, uh, because they don't have that skill set. So you need a staffing set that can cover its own vacancy and sickness, etc. <clears throat> Um, do expect more of a staff turnover than you think you're going to get you are going to get a staff turnover when you do this and that's really important as you can see from the data I've just presented you we're doing a lot, we're doing more than was happening before, we're doing it better, we're doing it more intelligently that's not always been a perception in the last 12 months and just put dig your heels in and say no when people try and dump stuff on the team it's an ambitious project we've taken on Potential for significant improvement I think we are starting to realise that but it is a long path and I really want to thank the team I've already mentioned Mark Rocket as well for his, uh, his getting to grips with the pain business from the middle of last year um, and uh, Tracy's one of our HCAs who's a, a brilliant data collector um, so thank you